Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 128th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, cybersecurity, and information technology firm in Fairfax, Virginia. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is top 10 tips, effective cybersecurity awareness training for law firm employees. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsors, PINow.com and Casefleet. Today, Sharon and I are going it alone to talk about a subject which is near and dear to our hearts, cybersecurity awareness training for law firm employees. We've been lecturing on this subject for many years, but it has a new meaning in light of recent cybersecurity events. So what do you say we start her off, Sharon? <laughs> yeah, let, let's let's start. It's not really 10 tips. It's more like about 50 compressed into blocks <laughs> of 10, but that, what, that's all right. We're trying to give oh, you a little bonus here. 50, that's my first, that's my first page. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Well, let's start with how important cybersecurity awareness training is for law firms and how to do it right. John's going to give you some more stats later, but I think one of the most significant statistics is that human beings are somehow involved in the success of 82% of successful attacks. They tend to have crummy passwords. They reuse and share passwords. They click on links or attachments without thinking. They get emails which seem improbable and yet respond to them. They steal your data and take it to their next job, and the list just goes on and on. In a work-from-home world where we are mostly still, where law firm employees are connecting remotely at least part of the time, training them about security is just more important. John's going to talk more about the specifics of that. We used to say that you should do this training once a year, but as things have moved and fast, moved mm -hmm. faster and faster, we think it's better to do it twice in a year. Uh, the employees seem to need reiterative training. They simply forget stuff, and the threats and the defenses keep changing too. So it really is hard to keep up. And I, I guess I would advise not to skimp on using in-house uh, IT to do the training for budget reasons. They're really not training professionals, and they don't carry the big bat needed to hit the uh, lessons home. Uh, if you're going to hire somebody to do it, which is what most people now do, get some referrals from your friends. One thing we noted recently is that a very large company that called us to do cybersecurity awareness training because they, they hired a big gun firm and they were so boring that people didn't pay any attention. So, so they, they called us because they heard we were colorful. So bear in mind that good presenters have to be good entertainers as well as good teachers. And if you're worried about cost, well, you can pay a lot. We've heard tens of thousands of dollars and it's crazy. And we've heard, you know, a number of hours. Our one hour training sessions are either $500 or $1,000, depending on the customization involved. Pretty much even the small law, law firms can't afford that. Personally, re we recommend it to go for just an hour because after that, they, they do tend to numb. Their brains go numb and you don't need that. 
training is definitely better live, but it is not likely the predominant way of the future. Most law firms are now having virtual training, and I see that as continuing, at least in hybrid format, maybe have somebody on site and, and remote as well. Make sure you track the attendance and ask those who are giving the training to give you a recording if some employees can't make it, which always seems to happen. John, I think you're up at bat next. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about phishing and ransomware. You really can't go a single week without hearing about ransomware in the news. You know, whether it's about a new victim, some ransomware gang that's going dark, or some new variant that's seen in the wild. I mean, it's the the hits just keep on coming. Wouldn't you say that, Sharon? I mean, it's it's absolutely not every it, day. It, it, it's I mean, blinding, you, though. <laughs> it's blinding the, how many of them there are. Yep. But I, but I want to talk about, I'm going to start with ransomware just because it's been so hot in the news and, and you know, it seems to be a real sexy topic for, for everybody, but it really has evolved. Uh, and in the early days, early days, according to technology, which is what, two years ago, Sharon, maybe yeah. three years ago, yeah. it, it basically was just a, a way to encrypt your data and then hold you hostage until you paid a ransom in order to get the decryption key to, to get access to your information back. Well, that's since evolved to what Sharon and I call ransomware 2.0. I mean, that's not an official industry term, but the evolution of it has, has really become much, much more targeted. And the tactics have changed because the cyber criminals are, are they're pretty smart. They're not stupid. And what they realized is that a lot of the uh, victims started to really improve their, their backup mechanisms. And they weren't paying the ransoms anymore. So they were just restoring from their backups, which you certainly should continue to do. But what happened was that the money well dried up. And so now the cyber criminal is going, oh, wait a minute. You know, let's access their network. And before we encrypt the data, let's steal it first. Let's make a copy of it. And then we'll go and encrypt it. And if we're lucky and they don't have good backups, they'll pay us their first ransom. But in either event, we have that second option to extort them a second time and ask for that second ransom because if they were, and we're going to threaten to expose that information or sell it or whatever, if they don't pay us that ransom. And the one thing that cracks me up all the time and Sharon, you, you know, we always laugh at this is when the, when the cyber criminals say, Oh yeah, you pay us that ransom and we're going to delete your data. Yeah. Right. We should trust you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but well, we've certainly <laughs> seen cases where trust was not justified. That's for sure. That's that's right. But they're actually making a heck of a lot more money now as a result of that. But because of that, because of the ransomware and the evolution of it, they're actually targeting more. They're actually they're going after victims that are more willing to pay and or, you know, and they're actually doing financial analysis, if you will, to adjust the various ransoms so that they're according to what the victim, you know, is paying ability is. So if you're a very, very large, you know, Fortune 100 company, then the, the number is going to be big. But if you're a solo small firm attorney, it may not be too big. It may be a few thousand dollars, um, you know, three, five, ten, you know, whatever, because they know that, that you're going to be more willing to, to pay that information. But a little bit about the stats, though, of where ransomware is. And, and there was a Forbes article that came out in March of, of this year where CrowdStrike announced that the average ransomware payouts were exceeding a million dollars um, and that the security firm Bluevoyant found that 15 percent of the, the global samplings of thousands of law firms they showed signs of compromised networks. So 15% had already, you know, had signs that they were compromised. And every single network, uh, network for all of the law firms that they surveyed were subject to targeted threat, threat attacks. 
So the law firms are actually have this big bullseye on their back. It's it's a one-stop shop. So don't think even though that you're a small or solo attorney that you're not going to be subject to, to potential ransomware attack because you are. The data you have is very valuable. Ransomware has actually evolved into what's called ransomware as a service now. So you can buy services, you know, groups like Maze or Darkseid or, or uh, Revil, or some people call them are evil because they really are evil. <laughs> Um, the, and they, they've attacked the, the Revil folks have attacked the, uh, you probably remember the, uh, the law firm, the big, um, boutique law firm in New York that did all the, the celebrities, right? The Lady Gaga and all those folks, they were attacked by Revil. That, that was a Grubman Shire. I'm going to mispronounce the name, uh, Mycelis and Sachs, I guess. But recently Revil was in the news, uh, by attacking the, uh, Kaseya, uh, managed service provider. So there's a lot of these folks that are out there that have grouped together as gangs, if you will, in order to create these, uh, these ransomware as a service uh, offerings. But, you know, a little bit more on the stats, Coveware, which is a company that, that monitors this stuff. The, the average ransomware payment is now 200, is over $220,000. That's up over 40% from the fourth quarter of last year. The uh, medium ransomware payment is over 78000 and that's up almost 60% from Q4. The average downtime for firms that have been attacked by ransomware is 23. And that's up 10 days, you know, from, from uh, Q4. But the, the new trend, as I mentioned before, about the, the migration and the, the growth of, of ransomware is that there is trying to disrupt the business after the initial attack. You know, and you saw that in the, the, the what the JBS meatpacking, the Colonial Pipeline, right? Is that that whole business disruption? If you can disrupt the business, then that gives great incentive for somebody to go and try to pay, right? That 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 money. And I guess I guess John, we should probably say too that we don't go into this in such depth in the training sessions, but they have to understand what their uh, who their enemies right. are and what the firm needs to do, and they need to know how they can be a part of that. So it, it's training them to recognize signals of phishing emails or ransomware attacks, so that they can protect the law firm as well as possible. Right. But just to, to reiterate, though, the this the second generation of ransomware and where they're stealing the, the data, if you will, or making a copy of it first before they encrypt, that right now, 77% of the ransomware attacks, they include that threat to, to leak or, or, or the stolen data. So, you know, over three quarters of the attacks now uh, have that involved. And I'm not going to go into all the other, you know, the, the other coveware stats and, and those kinds of uh, things that, that, are, that are out there for it because they really are trying to, to maximize the, the profits. But I want to talk a little bit about phishing and how phishing is really the, the entry point for folks to, to, to contract this ransomware. But it's also for the, and the attack into the, the business email compromises, which I'll talk about you know, in a little bit. But the whole point of phishing, and we do train on this, this portion, Sharon, as you know, in, in teaching folks how to recognize phishing. And one of the reasons that we recommend at least twice a year now in doing these kinds of uh, cybersecurity awareness training sessions is because the phishing techniques change. And what we've seen and how, how they go about trying to trick people into clicking on things or opening things that they shouldn't have. But, you know, the, the scary part is that, that 57% of the respondents in, the, in, uh, in a proof point survey experience some sort of phishing, f- successful phishing attack. So over half of them, 67% of, of the users didn't even know what ransomware was. 
or they gave an incorrect response. So, which is really deadly, right? If you don't know, as you mentioned earlier, if you don't know what that is or what your enemy is, that that's a bad a bad thing for you. Well, that, that's why we try to show them a dozen or so fishing examples in the training, yeah. so that could, they can all look at it and say, "Yeah, I, I got something like that once, and I didn't hit it." Or, "Yeah, I clicked on it." <laughs> but or or be very very suspicious of it, right? That's what you should be. But but ninety one percent of the attacks they start with a phishing email, and if you do train your employees on phishing simulations, that drops your risk by twenty percent. That studies have shown that. So you can't get much better than that. What that tells you is that you should continue on a periodic basis to, to train folks you know, into these phishing simulations. I'm not a big fan of, of these campaigns that point and, and shoot out you know, canned things to folks or they make them watch videos. I think having some sort of a, you know, whether it's pre-recorded or whether it's some sort of an interactive way to really drive home some of the points in addition to, you know, some of those automated fishing simulations. I think that's probably the most effective. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and you know, a, a shorter tip you'll be happy to hear is about taking your hands off the keyboard because we're all moving f- too fast. And I think most of us acknowledge that we move too fast when we're working. We think we're multitasking and we're more efficient because we're doing that. But the experts tell us that just isn't true. What we are doing is shooting short bursts of attention here and then there, which makes us much more likely to actually make make an error. When we ask audiences who has ever sent an email to the wrong person or sent the wrong attachment or forgotten the attachment entirely, almost every hand in the room goes up. So the solution is happily simple in this particular case, get employees in the habit of taking their hands off the keyboard and reviewing who the email is going to. Autocomplete, as we often say, is not your friend. My first two (laughs) initials, SN, are the first two initials of my email address. I get tons of misdirected emails because it's a fairly common thing to have a a name like Sharon Nelson. So SN would be very common. If there is an attachment, make sure that the attachment to the email is the correct attachment and and that you've got one at all, because obviously we often blank out on that. And finally, proof the doggone email so you don't sound like a fifth grader or make a stupid but significant error like calling somebody by the wrong name or using the wrong date or the wrong time because you're trying to arrange something. So that's that. those are really fast tips that they really do grasp. And a lot of folks have told me that they have adopted that take your hands off the keyboard rule and they are thankful for it. So, John, maybe you can turn us to the nemesis of business email compromise. Yeah, business email compromise is, is really the second step, if you will, of, of where you need to focus your, your energies. Ransomware being number one, BEC being number two. But BEC, believe it or not, is it has more financial impact than, than ransomware does. But for those folks that don't know, business email compromise, or BEC is what the, the FBI has, has coined that phrase, is really financially driven. It's where you're trying to get your victim to wire money or to send information that has to do with something financial, like W-2 information, or getting the the victim or the employee to, to purchase gift cards, you know, and send those. And, and now everything is electronic now, right? So you get Amazon, electronic Amazon gift cards, or, you know, another financial thing that they're after is to uh, change the employee's direct deposit information or vendor invoices, right? Any sort of wiring instructions. Uh, those are all targets for business email compromise. And just to, to give you a flavor for why this is so important and why you should be so focused on it, 
is there was a 75% rise in the first three months of 2020. So we're going back, you know, to the pandemic days. Uh, that's a big increase. But then from April to May of last year, it increased 200% each week. I mean, that's phenomenal. To make matters even worse is if your email account is compromised, where someone actually has access, let's say, to your, your content. So now they've got your contact information and they've got all your historical information. So they'll, they know what vendors you've been working with. They know, let's say, what your clients are and what cases you've worked on in the past. I mean, we had one of our clients that actually sent me a suspicious email and said, this doesn't look right. It's somebody that they worked with in the past. It was about three years ago, three or four years ago, but it had, and it had to do with a similar matter uh, in, in a case. So if they have access to that person's email box, right there, they know what kind of cases and matters you've been working on. So they, they, they get a little more success when they do that. The Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, which is a, gr a group uh, division of the FBI, they published the 2020 Internet uh, Crime Report where they identify the, you know, the amount of fraud and, and all that stuff that occurs. And the Internet Crime Report identified financial fraud exceeding $4.2 billion for the year. And of that $4.2 billion, $1.8 billion was BEC. So I'd have to do the math. I think it's 40-some percent, a little less than 45% of the total fraud was is attributable to BEC. So what that means and what we teach as we go through the training is you need to be very, very cognizant of that. Again, just like ransomware, it tends, it starts with a phishing email. There might be a conversation going on. And then in, in order to uh, entice you to give up some information where you're going to transfer funds. So you want to take us to the next subject, Sharon? Yeah, let's, let's talk about social engineering because there's all kinds of social engineering by bad guys looking to get into your law firm network. So it's really important that employees be taught about some examples. For instance, there is phishing by phone, which is sometimes known as vishing with a V uh, because it is voice phishing. And then the bad actors are generally trying to get information. They're, they're going to ask who pays the bills or wires funds on behalf of the law firm. You'd be surprised how many people answer those questions. They may ask who the managing partner is or the CEO or CFO, more people who have uh, authorization privileges for payments or wiring funds. Those are the people, people they want to pretend to be through compromising or spoofing their email or even by use of deep fake audio. And yes, we have seen that in the wild, but we don't have time to tell you the whole story, but we have seen <laughs> a successful deep fake audio used to persuade somebody that they were uh, somebody in a large corporation that was authorized to wire funds. They might even call uh, to ask who your IT managed service provider is, because then they can call pretending to be that provider. They will have perhaps researched some names there, perhaps through LinkedIn, which is a big help to the bad guys, however inadvertently. So your employees are much more likely to give their law firm credentials to someone pretending to be from your IT provider using some lame excuse about maybe being in the middle of fending off an attack and needing your ID and passwords right away. So trust me, giving your employees real life examples and teaching them to be suspicious is a good thing for the security of your data. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick commercial break. What could be more important than knowing the facts of your case inside and out? CaseFleet's powerful software makes it easy to create a chronology of each case and to track the evidence for each fact. With an intuitive interface, full text search, and built-in document review, 
Case Fleet makes fact management easy. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at casefleet.com forward slash digital detectives and get 10% off your first subscription. Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PINow understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up-to-date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation, including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our topic is Top 10 Tips, Effective Cybersecurity Awareness Training for Law Firm Employees. So what's up next, John? Well, I want to talk a little bit about the the whole work from home environment and and how it's impacted cybersecurity and and kind of what we can do, we collectively owners as well as, you know, employees to practice safe computing, right? And, and securely c- communicate more with the office. But what's to start off with though, the whole work from home world and I think it's going to continue on as as is pretty much indicated from the whole hybrid world. It's weaker security. I mean, let's face it. People are using consumer-grade equipment. They're not up to date with patches on their home machines. Uh, they're using consumer-grade routers. Uh, and surveys have already shown that only 35% of users have even changed the default router password on their home networks, their home Wi-Fis. And the cyber criminals know this too. So they know that everyone's working from home. They know that people are using RDP. They're using remote desktop protocol. They're using VPNs. And so they're attacking those. They, they know that only 35% have changed default rat, uh, router passwords. So they're attacking, you know, what are typical vendors for, for home routers. So what can you do about that? Well, you, you want to make sure that you're communicating in a secure fashion back to your law firm. Anything that uses an encrypted connection, a uh, virtual private network is a good choice. Certainly make sure it's patched, make sure it's configured correctly. Just because you use a VPN doesn't mean you're totally secure. So again, make sure it's 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 patched and and uh, configured, and anything that that uses any type of you know encrypted connection that, out there. Don't allow any of your family members to use any equipment that you're processing client data on. Even if you have a, a law firm you know issued laptop, that's certainly the best approach. It's controlled, hopefully, by centrally managed by the firm. But if you do have to use your home network, home networks, your home computers, don't let the family members use that as well. And then finally, I would say that get as many services as you can and move to the cloud. That way you don't even have to connect up to your law firm's network, right? And we've seen more and more of that, haven't we, Sharon? A lot. And it's been very <laughs> effective. So let's, let's move to sharing and reusing credentials because sharing your law firm ID and password is just plain stupid, but more than 50% of people <laughs> do it. Often partners might share their, their uh, credentials with paralegals or secretaries who monitor their emails. There seem to be a million reasons why people share their credentials, but none of them make any darn sense. Sharing credentials creates an enormous security threat and hearing that from experts helps to resolve the problem. 
problem. Reusing passwords is as incredibly common as it is incredibly stupid. Once a bad guy has your password from one place and the database of known the databases of known compromised passwords makes that absurdly easy, now they'll try that password in as many places as possible. And we are always careful to stress that the law firm and password should ID and password should be regarded as particularly sacred and never, ever reused anywhere. When we do training in person and we talk on these subjects, we see nervous glances <laughs> exchanged. So hopefully those folks have resolved to go back to their office and fix this gaping security hole. Recently, we've been having some headway uh, in John's next tip about getting folks to accept MFA. So take that away, yeah. John. Yeah, MFA or multi-factor authentication, a lot, you've probably heard the term two-factor authentication or 2FA. Uh, MFA is, is more global. It's more encompassing. More and more vendors now are forcing you <laughs> to turn on MFA. But our message is always, always, always configure MFA, use MFA every place that it's available, whether it's for your banking account, you know, your, your, your doctor's office, you know, the, your, your lab results, any sort of scheduling, whether it's your Yelp account, Facebook, you know, social media, any of those, uh, and certainly any law firm access should have MFA. Studies have shown that having multi-factor authentication enabled will stop 99.9% of credential-based account takeovers. Microsoft's own studies you know, have proven that. Microsoft believes that MFA is so important that it's now included free with all of their subscriptions. You don't have to pay for it, but it's not turned on and configured. So you need to get some, you probably need to get some help from your IT support folks or whatever to turn that on. Now, having said that, if you do have a choice for, for MFA implementations, uh, and there are several ways, most of them, are, the common is SMS text messages. You know, that's better. That's the weakest of the MFA, but it's better than not having MFA at all. Next up the security ladder is authentication app. Use an authentication app. That's an app that changes and has that code every 30 seconds that you have to punch in. That's better than a text message. Even better than that is receiving push notifications to that application. So in other words, when you go to log on, you'll get a notification to your authentication app and then just hit the button. Then there's tokens is the fourth one. And that's like a YubiKey. But also for passwords, make sure you're using a password manager so we're not reusing passwords like Sharon talked about. And certainly, finally, don't ever, ever let a browser remember those passwords, even though you're going to get prompted multiple times. Absolutely splendid advice. So my next tip is, is a jumble. I'm going to talk about drive-by infections, baiting, piggybacking, and tailgating. That all sounds quite mysterious to many people. Uh, there is so much more. So drive-by infections are where you visit a website that automatically downloads malware invisibly while you are on the site. The lesson there for employees is not to go places you don't know. Name brands are much more reliable. They don't have that stuff on their sites. We talk about baiting where flash drives are left on airplanes, public park benches, or at conferences. You pick up a flash drive, curious about what's on it, or maybe wanting to return it to its owner, and bada-bing, you inadvertently download a malicious payload when you stick the drive in your laptop. So we talked, too, about physical security. P piggybacking is when someone strikes up a conversation with you as you enter the building or office with a prox card, key, keypad, or whatever form of entry. And they seem to have authority to be with you, so they're, they get in, even if you're being watched by a security in some you know, form of managed security. Related is tailgating, where someone, just as a for instance, pretends to be talking on their phone until you have, have 
open the door successfully as previously described in any any manner that you need to use. And then they pretend to hang up their call and they grab the open door. Uh, Not liking confrontation, we tend to let them in with us. Uh, I could go on and on, but of course, we're almost out of time. So what's our last topic, John? Well, talk about some everyday attacks and, and certainly some uh, fishing, successful fishing, because fishing is is the number one way. And I'm not going to run through them all, but some the some recent surveys have indicated that some of the more recently used themes are, and this it it, it builds upon the whole pandemic, the coronavirus, right? situation that we're in. So you'll get these themes that have to deal with Microsoft Teams requests. And that's not unusual because people are doing Teams. Uh, An Office 365 password expiration. We have a lot of cloud-based users that are out there. The one that really gets people's blood going, I guess, is something about uh, there's an alert about the large number of files that were deleted from OneDrive, right? That would just scare the bejesus out of most folks. But I think one of the more, more effective themes is is anything that has to do with deliveries, right? If, if, if we're working from home and a lot of folks are still working from home, whether it's a UPS, FedEx, or an Amazon delivery notice, you're going to be more, more likely than not to click on something like that, right? For sure. Um, but... <laughs> One of the uh, surveys that I saw indicated in Q4 of 2020, the five most successful subject lines were password check required immediately, touch base on meeting next week, uh, vacation policy update, COVID-19 remote work policy update. That probably gets a lot of hits, I'm sure. And then as people are, I'm, I'm sure, going working from home and hybrid situation, that important dress code changes, right? That's another subject line that's been very effective, but... And I think that's pretty much all I have, Sharon. Uh, we've uh, we have we have a boatload that we could cover uh, probably for another uh, what two three hours, but we're not going to do that to these people. No, we're not. <laughs> Let's call it quits while we're ahead. <laughs> well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or an Apple Podcast. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and cybersecurity services at senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.